Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rock it back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 6, Night of Terror, from Superboy the Legacy is Tom Gallagher. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to talk about this episode in large part because I feel like my opinion of this episode in particular has changed a lot from the first time that I watched it a couple of years ago. Uh, so I'm really excited to compare notes. Uh, I'll give the quick uh, setup for our audience here. So again, this was season one, episode six, aired October 24th, 1952, written by Ben Peter Freeman, directed by Lee Sholem. And our synopsis, this time I pulled from IMDb. Typically, I've been reading from the DVD sets, but IMDb says, while on vacation, Lois stumbles upon a ring of criminals who are smuggling fugitives into Canada. She and the innkeeper's wife are captured, and it is up to Jimmy and Superman to save them. So it's a very tense, violent half hour of the show. And I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, before we dive into this in particular, what, what is your, your history, your experience with the George Reeves Adventures of Superman show? Like what role, if any, has it played in your overall Superman fandom? Um, I mean, I was always aware of the show. I mean, it's, it's pretty legendary. Um, I will admit it's not a show that I saw for a long time. It's, uh, it's one that I really gave a try when I was at university like, like over 10 years ago so most of the episodes I've not seen for a very long time but uh yeah it's, it's just one of those shows that I mean I've always wanted to give it another try I've always thought that George Reeves had an interesting way of playing the character and uh yeah it, I, I was just really happy to uh find that I did enjoy the show like you know it's one of those things that when I mostly grew up watching like Lois and Clark and Superboy and uh, like the Christopher Reeve movies, but whenever you would have like a making of documentary or an interview with anyone that's connected with Superman, how familiar were you with the character? Every time it's, well, I watched the George Reeve shows as a kid and uh, yeah, I think my mother watched it when she was a kid. Like it's just one of those things that it's just kind of a legendary. So I, I, don't think I could call myself a Superman fan for too much longer without at least giving it a go, you know? <laughs> no, no, I, I totally hear you. I mean, this has been, like I've been saying on these episodes, I, I really only started delving into this a, a couple of years ago, and then now I'm fully immersed in it with this podcast. But yeah, it's one of those things, like as Superman fans, I feel like we owe it to ourselves. And and for the yeah. fans of the show out there, I'm glad that we can do the show and have these conversations, because I know there are plenty of people, and hopefully listening, who you know, do have those memories of really growing up with it. And, and you're right. It's like, uh, especially with, uh, within certain generations, you talk to people and that's, that was their introduction to the character. I was actually at my grandfather's mm. house, uh, very recently for his 95th birthday. And I was telling him, I was like, you know, I've been watching the George Reeves show. Like, oh yeah, I remember that. It's, you know, that, that was the thing. And you go back even further, you got the Kirk Allen serials. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I think, I've seen Superman in the Mole Men, but that was George Reeves' first serial, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, what was what was the one that Kirk Allen uh, did before? Yeah, so the first one was just called Superman, um, and then the second one was Adam Man versus Superman. 
I think I've seen Atom Man versus Superman, but yeah, again, very long time ago. But uh, yeah, it's just yeah, like you say, as as fans, we sort of owe, our, owe it to ourselves to at least give it a go. It doesn't matter if we don't connect with it, we don't like it too much. Let's let's face it, these things haven't aged too well. But I mean, I'm a fan of classic Hollywood anyway, and there's something super charming about this show. So uh, that's yeah. the thing. I you know I've used this comparison a number of times, but I. I grew up watching and still watch the classic 1950s sitcom, The Honeymooners. And it's a wonderful life. I watch every Christmas. I look forward to it. And so I, f- I feel very much at home in this in this era mm. as we're watching it. It's not like, oh, what's this old show? It's like, no, I'm happy to be in that in that world. We were talking mm. off mic. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, even though our experiences with this show aren't necessarily the same, but I feel like we, you and I are kindred spirits in that you know, we've, we've both taken up the cause, <laughs> you, you for a longer <laughs> tenure, but we've both taken up the cause of, of these shows within the Superman canon that can often go overlooked. So you are uh, involved with Superboy, the legacy, and you guys have really been carrying the torch for that show uh, for a while. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about what you do, where they can find it? Um, yeah. I mean, if you just search on YouTube for Superboy, the legacy, um, we do podcasts, we do episode commentaries and stuff, but it's all based around the 1988 to 1992 live action adventures of Superboy television series, which is my favorite. Like, I mean, I'll concede that it may not be the best Superman show ever made, but it's my favorite Superman show. If that makes sense. Uh, Season one is pretty shocking in terms of just how bad it is, but uh, there is still some gems hidden in there. And honestly, we just love this show and we want to see it remembered. Uh, I mean, it was the first, I mean, I was very annoyed a couple of years ago when they did uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths with the CW because Superboy was the first live action DC show to even introduce the concept of a multiverse, let alone visit like three or four different Earths in their show. And yeah, I just think it would have been nice if Superboy had got a mention, but what can you do? But uh, yeah, we're just on YouTube trying to, spread awareness like try and convince some people to watch it you know it's a show we care a lot about yeah no i I love that you guys do that and so you know for any uh for any fellow fans out there or if you're just kind of curious you know i encourage you to check out superboy the legacy uh i I think you know undertaking these efforts uh I, i think is is very worthwhile especially when and i've talked about this in almost every episode so i won't harp on it but especially when from the the, the, the studio and the company side, you're not really seeing a push to necessarily make these widely available and, and, mm. and things like that. And so to, to have, at least from the fan perspective, sort of saying like, hey, this is out there. You know, you might have to work a little bit to find it, but it's out there and this is yeah, what we love about I, it. <clears throat> Thankfully, at the moment for all your American fans, like the show is on Tubi, which is free. So it's easier than ever to watch the show. But uh, before that, the only way you could really watch it is I think you can buy it on YouTube or you could buy the DVDs through Warner Archive. But yeah, it's just a very difficult show to get hold of, especially for a long time, because they just didn't release it anywhere for for a very long time. I mean, my first copies of Superboy on DVD were bootlegs because there just wasn't another version. (laughs) And And they were terrible. They were like recorded off like VHS tapes, like you would have commercials in some of the episodes. It was awful. But yeah, I, I still did not regret that purchase at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's it's nice. It's um, it's just a show that we care a lot about, and yeah, 
No, I, I respect that. And I mean, maybe less so with Adventures of Superman, but I, I feel like in both cases, when, when you do have a lot of these conversations about the larger Superman mythology and rankings of actors and things like mm. that, I think both shows to an extent, certainly Superboy, though, often gets lost in the shuffle. And, you know, yeah, I'll be very honest. Almost never remembered. Like, every time I go to a Comic-Con, I see these big posters that are these beautiful, like, digital art prints that these people have designed. It's got every Superman on it except for Superboy. And, like, Tom Welling will be there in his, like, red leather jacket. And he never actually put the suit on, whereas Superboy, he wore the suit in every episode for four seasons. But uh, part of the reason... I think it should be remembered as well is like it was produced by the Salkines who made the Christopher Reeve movies. Like that's one thing, but the people, the team that made Superboy fly on screen were the same people that made Christopher Reeve fly. They literally the same team. Uh, he even wore Christopher Reeve's cape throughout the series. Like, you know, it's no, uh, yeah, there's, no, there's good true. reason it should be remembered. But uh, George Reeves as well. Like it's, it was legendary for so long. It would be such a shame if it gets forgotten now. I, I agree wholeheartedly, and, and we were talking off mic, but you did this great video on your, your YouTube channel about why people should watch Superboy The Legacy. So if anyone, mm. again, is just kind of curious for uh, for a little bit of that, I, I, I definitely recommend it. And again, I, I will admit, I, I f- have fallen into that category. I'm more mindful of it now, but even on my other Superman show, Digging for Kryptonite, and a lot of times I, I will sort of catch myself when I'm sort of running through a list of you know, uh, you know, on-screen depictions of of X, whatever we're talking about, and it's like, oh yeah, but it was also Superboy. You know, I've I've been more mindful of that, and I haven't really fully delved into any any meaningful substantive coverage of it yet on Digging for Kryptonite. We've touched on it here and there, but it's coming down the line. Uh, you'll probably get a call from me at some point when, the, when that time comes. Uh, honestly, that would be great. I mean, I'd I'd love to come back when you start talking about Superboy, and we'll have to have you on. Superboy Le- the Legacy as a guest at some point to talk about it when you have you know started watching it properly. No, I appreciate that. I'm 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 always game, so happy to happy to help however I can. So all right, Night of Terror. Oh, this was again a very tense, taut half hour mm. of, of season one, which again, much darker, grittier, uh, you know, really more of a crime drama as opposed to mm. uh, what it would become in later seasons. So I guess let's start the way we typically do. I'm just curious what your overall impressions were, uh, especially upon the viewing, uh, the most recent viewing for this. Um, what, just uh, generally, the mm-hmm. whole episode? Um, I, I thought it was a lot of fun, you know? I, I didn't really, I'll be honest, I didn't remember this episode. But as soon as I started watching it again and I heard the name uh, Babyface, I remembered that what was going to happen with... We'll, we'll get to that. I don't want. I don't know how... Uh, spoiler heavy <laughs> you want me to get in this but the black and white nature of it just the way it's shot i think is really atmospheric i think it's really well shot there's a great scene of tension about halfway through that i'm i'm sure we'll talk about as well but i just it's a thoroughly enjoyable episode um yeah there's there's a lot of charm to this one despite how um violent as you put it was uh it was in a couple of places yeah a little bit shocking from a modern viewpoint. I know it's, I mean, it's shocking from a modern viewpoint. It's shocking from, yeah, the show ran six seasons and the, the seasons three through six, the color years, they only did 13 per year. So uh, mm. in terms of quantity of episodes, we've got half and half in terms of black and white and color, but even season two is a lot softer and gentler, even though it's still black and white. So not only is it shocking just compared to what we might be accustomed to now, but even just within the context of the show, these season one episodes and this one in particular, 
you know, it stands out, but they really, they really have some teeth and, and they're fascinating mm -hmm. to watch. And I just love that this type of Superman episode is out there because it is, it is an outlier compared to so much of the series and everything yeah. else. It's, it's funny because, um, it opens with this like really sort of intriguing mystery. Like you see it, the camera pans throughout the room and you see like there's a lamp knocked over. There's clearly signs of a struggle. And then you see the dead body and it's like sort of sets up sort of an intriguing mystery. You don't quite know what's gone down just yet. And then of course, Lois walks in, like just happens to be at the right place at the right time. And yeah, of course it's the mob. Like, you know, it, it's adventures of Superman. Of course it's the mob, but Somehow it still surprised me. <laughs> I suppose just because of how long it's been since I've seen this episode. But yeah. Yeah. I, so I know I said this earlier that my, my impression of this episode has changed a lot. The first time that I watched this a couple of years ago, I didn't hate it or anything. But mm. I think the thing that, that sort of hindered my enjoyment was so much of this comes down to the fact that Clark, a.k.a. Superman, just needs to get the information. Once he gets it, that was a bit infuriating. Yeah. Right. And so the first time. I know time, exactly what you're on about. It becomes, and you know, we'll get more into this as we make our way through the episode, but you know, about midway through, it becomes almost farcical where mm -hmm. there's this note that gets left on the desk that then blows to the floor, that then gets picked up by the trash, that then gets incinerated. All of these things mm -hmm. that are slowing Clark down from getting the information he needs, because really once he has it, our episode is over. Yeah. And the first time I watched it, like infuriating is the perfect word. I think that was the way I felt. I was like, mm. it just, I didn't feel the tension because I was just like, we, you know, we, obviously we know it's going to be a positive outcome in the end. And it's yeah. just, we're just delaying the inevitable here. But on rewatch, and I watched it two more times in, in advance of, of this, uh, I really just came to appreciate how they did build the tension and how they varied the pace over the course of the episode. Because I would say for the mm. first half it is very slow and methodical and we're really settling in and spending some more time in these scenes. And I, I agree with you totally that opening shot, that continuous shot as we go through the, the lobby of that motel and, and you're right, like you slowly start to see the disarray. There's, we see a, um, a cigarette still smoking in the, in the ashtray, all these nice little details that are building the tension. And then around halfway through, it really starts to pick up and we're cutting back and forth between scenes a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And again, I was just more dialed into that, these times that I watched and I just, I appreciated it. And again, what might've been infuriating the first time, especially when we get to Clark's interactions with Ms. Bacharach, the uh, administrative oh, assistant at the yeah. Daily Planet. Now I just found so funny. So just so hilarious. So there's a lot, that's the thing for as dark a violent and violent an episode as it is, there's some hilarious stuff in there as yeah. well. It's great. And it's funny, like you said, how farcical it is, like just the whole drama with the note and, uh, yeah, I, I guess the reason it was most infuriating to me was because the tension was building so much so that the farce almost wasn't funny because you just wanted them to move along. You want, come on, Lois is in danger. You, you almost feel like shouting at the screen, like, hurry up. Like, And it's, yeah, it's, there's some great building attention in it and it all starts when Lois is like first trying to make that phone call and it's like, you know... She's probably going to get caught any minute now, but you don't quite know when it will happen. You think it's going to happen at one point and she ducks just in the nick of time and like really well directed, like for the tension, like they really, you, there's a slight release for a second and it's straight back into it, but then it gets into the whole farce with the note and all of that. And 
there was also a bit where Clark is trying to get the names of the motels. He's got three, like he's trying to find out all the different hotels that have got the word well in the title. And he's like, Clark is on the phone, almost frantic to the man. And then he's like, yep, I'll, I'll be waiting in my office for your call. And the man hangs up the phone, takes another bite of his sandwich Stubs out his cigarette and slowly walks over to his records and just slowly starts looking through. So slowly, no urgency at all to what he's doing. And I was just like, come on. <laughs> that that's that's where the infuriating nature of it comes from, and it almost makes what would be a very funny sort of sequence, especially with the assistant. Uh, I forget her name, you said it a moment ago. Yes, Miss um, Bacharach. That's it, Miss Bacharach. Uh, it would be very funny, but at that point, I was so into the episode, I was worried about Lois, you know, and uh, I, I I put that down to really just excellent directing. Like you could you could say maybe it's a bit uneven, but I I think it just added to the atmosphere of this episode. Yeah, and I think this, like this episode in particular is a great example. You know, the old saying, "Constraints make the artist," and yeah, this show mm. could only do so much as far as the super heroics that they could reasonably portray on screen but this was a great example of even with limited tools really like you said it is very atmospheric and it really builds the tension and it pulls you in i think in a way that's mm. that is on the more engrossing side even more so than the episodes that we've covered already though i've enjoyed them in different ways but this one i think like really this one in some ways was akin to the haunted lighthouse the second episode that aired where jimmy's off on vacation on moose island mm. um but this i felt that definitely uh got going faster for sure. And uh, the stakes felt a lot higher. Um, so I wouldn't put them totally in the same category, but it, it definitely had shades of that, especially with Lois being on vacation at the start of this or try, trying to get on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> and also it's like just another area. They add tension as well. It's like once Jimmy shows up and they mistake him for the hitman, and it's like suddenly Jimmy's got to sort of play along a little bit. Like they hand him a gun and it's like, yeah, he's got to pretend that he's going in the room to shoot Lois. <laughs> and it's like, you just, you don't want him to get found out, but you know it's only a matter of time because the real baby face is coming. Like, yeah, it's just really excellently plotted episode, I thought. It's like, as you say, they were, they knew their limitations and they worked within it. And the limitations were showing a few times in this episode. Uh, obviously, it's a pretty common thing when Superman's flying, you can see where his chest is goes flat, where he's like laying on that box, I think is how they did it. You can see that. And later on, there's a f the fight scene with Superman and you can totally tell that it's his stuntman. Like it's really, really obvious in this episode, but it's still a pretty good fight scene. Like, you know, it's, it's still a fun sequence. It's, it's short, but it's fun, especially for the time. Yeah. So the stuntman, you know, I was thinking about this. In fairness, people watching this originally in the 50s on little grainy black and white televisions yeah. without the ability to pause or rewind. I mean, who who would have anticipated that we would have the technology we have now? Which, speaking of, uh, thanks to you. So I watched, like I said, I watched it twice. I watched it once just on DVD like I've been doing with all of them. But then mm -hmm. uh, you very graciously, you remastered this episode and you sent it to me. Well, and so I got to I got to watch it that way too. I mean, I tried. <laughs> the thing is, you know, AI upscaling is kind of a popular thing at the moment. People, it seems to be kind of a craze at the moment, but it's so far from perfect. So that I'm sure you were more than aware of the times when it falls short, but it's still, it was able to clean it up 
to enough of a point where I don't know, maybe on the DVD when there's all that added added film grain over it, maybe you can't see that his face is different. But uh, you can up still to see. You can still see. <laughs> you can still see. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it that quality, so. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Yeah, you can still see. I definitely saw it more clearly in the than the version that you sent me. But no, you definitely see. I mean, it's it, just in terms of how long the stuntman is on screen. You know, part of me was tempted yeah. to like, pause, like actually really count like to see because it's, you know, typically it's obviously so much faster, but the, that stuntman really gets a lot of play and, and you really do see. But, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know. I in some ways right, that adds though, to the charm. Just, yeah, but as you said, it's, it's the size of the screen with TVs like let's face it, the old style TVs weren't the best quality, even with a big screen, like the technology. Yeah. Very good chance. Nobody even noticed it was a stunt man until the advent of DVD. Yeah. Especially kids who would have been watching this at oh, the yeah. time. Although I don't I know how kid friendly this one, this episode would be maybe hmm. <laughs> some uh, parental supervision watching this one. Yeah. Uh, but I, I know just watching like Lois and Clark as well. It's like as a kid, I certainly never noticed when you, it would be a stuntman or whatever. But now that it's on HBO Max in 1080p or 4K or whatever it is they've uploaded it, in, you can totally see when it's a stuntman now. But uh, yeah, as a kid, never noticed. But, uh, Speaking yeah, of just, the, the quality, I, uh, I I finally gave in and I bought a 4K Blu-ray player. Uh, for years, every time my wife and I would pass by Best Buy, I'd be like, oh, I need to get a 4K Blu-ray player. And she's like, do you really? And I was like, nah, I guess not. Because I don't really buy as, like, I, I barely buy physical media anymore. It's very rare. It's typically something Superman related where it's like, I have to have this. But, you know, word has come that the Christopher Reeve movies are coming out in 4K and there's the yep. Snyder trilogy in 4K. And I was like, oh, okay. It's, uh, it felt like the time. You know, I mean... I, I pr always prefer physical media if I can, just purely because, you know, my internet goes down. I'm not going to have Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of that stuff. I like to be able to pull a DVD off my shelf. Plus, as well, I mean, you know, shows like Superboy are on Tubi at the moment, but who knows how long for. So having my own copy on DVD is pretty much the only way I can guarantee that I don't lose access to it. And, uh, yeah, I, I typically do that with all the Superman related media i think the only superman film i haven't got on blu-ray at the moment is uh batman versus superman just because it's my least favorite one <laughs> right, fair enough <laughs> yeah. uh so uh, you know again we'll start going more scene by scene but we're talking these overall impressions and especially maybe some behind the scenes stuff i think this episode is also notable uh some of this i think is pretty apparent on screen and others like i sort of came across in reading trivia and things like that but uh, the scene where Lois gets gets clocked in the first scene apparently mm. was for real, like the missed the mark or what. And and I think in interviews, oh, wow. Phyllis Coates took the responsibility herself. It wasn't that the the other actor was was off. Oh, she didn't she wasn't, pull back or whatever. Yeah, and so apparently she legit got hit in that. And then oh, wow. in the final fight scene in the motel, when it's George Reeves and he punches out, I think it's Sully at the end. But when he punches out one of the guys at the end, um. As the guy is falling, you can actually hear him say, ow, and then you hear someone, I think, behind the camera say, god damn it, it's very <laughs> faint. But if you go back to that scene, you can wow. definitely, the ow is, is really faint, but the god damn it, like you can definitely hear that. So oh, this was, man. it was a violent I episode mean, on screen, but like on stage too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but when you said about like how violent this episode was in places, the first thing I thought was Lois Lane getting like punched in the face. And it's like... It, and 
because it looks like it connected. And obviously, I just assumed that it was well directed. You know, I did. I had, I had no idea it actually happened for like for real. That's that's nuts. That's how the story goes, and I'm almost positive that's the scene in that opening scene. If if I'm mistaken, folks, you know, please let me know. But I but mm. I, I believe so. That would be the the instance where that would make the most else. sense. I know later yeah. on when they're tied up, uh, I think it's Sully who like smacks her in the back of the head. Uh, but that's not what they were talking about. Mm. I think it was like she really like really connected. So I think it was in that mm. in that opening scene. So crazy. I mean, this was like yeah. really intense on a number of levels. I guess that happened a lot back then. I mean, you know, health and safety were was it was certainly a lot more lax than it is today. And let's face it, accidents still happen today on film sets. Like. Let's face it, it was a pretty terrible one just last year that I'm sure everyone is more than familiar with. Yeah, it's ah, just, absolutely. Yeah. On that somber note, uh, let, we'll take a quick commercial <laughs> break and then we'll come right back and we'll we'll dive even more into Night of Terror. And we'll be right back. This episode made possible by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is moving to the South Jersey area and looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for their new local comic shop, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang on to your shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. 
Join Aya for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit AyaComics.com and follow Aya on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Aya. And we're back. All right, so I think we've largely talked about that opening scene already. So we're, we open on Restwell Tourists Motel, and we see Lois walk, or even before Lois walks in, like we talked about, we have that long, continuous shot mm-hmm. taking us through. We see the unconscious body lying on the floor. Lois comes in, of course, finds the body, uh, goes over and inspects, and we see some blood on yeah. her fingers. I was, I was surprised about that. I mean, you know, I just assumed blood was a big no-no on television back then, because let's face it, even today... TV networks can be a bit squeamish about blood. Like, yeah. Not even just TV networks, even big films and stuff. Like the difference of an R rating for some films is literally just putting the blood splats back in. So it's yeah, I know. And that was another instance where your remaster it was clearer there than you can see it on the DVD, but it was definitely clearer. So it was it was cool to watch it in the in the two ways because there were certain things that I was like, oh, like I can like it really. Yeah, I could really uh, hone in on on certain aspects. It uh, is shocking when it happens with older TV shows. Uh, I'm not going to keep referring back to Superboy, but it just happens that it's relevant in this case, where the first uh, episode with Metallo, he's in a hospital bed. He's like had a heart attack as Superboy's like stopped him getting away from like a bank robbery or something, and. The doctor comes in and he, he literally cuts the doctor's throat with a scalpel. And like the next time you see Metallo, he's literally just all around his collar. Like he's just like this white top covered in like red blood, like absolutely soaked in blood. And I, I just I couldn't quite believe that they got on away with it in 1988. It's, you know, what what the, there was on the George Reeves thing we watched on Night of Terror, you know, nowhere near as bad, but. I, I just assumed that any blood at all was a no-no. But, yeah. No, I know that's yeah. fascinating. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that specific Superboy episode. When I get there, I'll, I'll definitely... Well, I guess yeah, I won't even have to keep an eye surprised. out. It'll be right there, right there yeah. in my face. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit pink, the blood. But I mean, you know, you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So Lois is then confronted by Sully. He's the the, mm. the heavy with the, with the scar, uh, Scarface, as I initially noted him uh, as I was going through this episode. I love, you, yeah. I don't suppose you happen to know if the actor actually had that scar or if that was makeup. Because if, if that was makeup, it was pretty damn effective. That's a good question. I did look him up just to see generally what else he was in. I, I don't think he actually did, but I'm not positive. I don't hold me to that. So I, I'm not sure. But yeah, either way, it was definitely, I mean, it definitely, you know, created an, an effect for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had a very distinctive look, like immediately intimidating. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I love how Lois tries to leave. I love that she's just like, like slowly backs away and like yeah. picks up the suitcase. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was kind of funny. But I mean, you know, she's got to try, hasn't she? Like, Yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was a, an admirable effort. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, she does get stopped and punched, like we said, punched in the face yeah. and apparently actually punched, uh, you know, behind the scenes as, as well. Uh, and... Then we also get this conversation between uh, these two guys, Mitch and Sully, uh, who from here on throughout the episode are chomping at the bit to kill Lois and the innkeeper's wife, who who, mm-hmm. who's the woman who was unconscious there. I mean, they're, that's their whole thing, this entire episode. I mean, that's really what ratchets up the tension because these guys are like, they don't want to, there's all this conversation about, um, 
Uh, the boss wants to send, like you said earlier, babyface Stevens, this hitman to take care of them. And there's a whole mm. back and forth about like, well, why can't they do it themselves? And they get impatient waiting for baby babyface Stevens. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it starts here. Like these two really take their work very seriously, I suppose. Yeah, they clearly have a lot of affection for killing. <laughs> it's not good enough to wait another five minutes for babyface to turn up. Like they want to do it. And it's... Yeah, it's, it's interesting and it's funny as well. Like, I think the only reason they didn't take it into their own hands is because they clearly have some almost like hero worship for Babyface Stevens. Like, he's clearly a legend in their business. Uh, like, he's even got this legend about his gun and he only puts in the, the number of bullets that he needs for that specific job, uh, which is kind of a stupid thing to do. Like, no matter how good you think you are as a hitman, like... You know, fill the chambers. Like, come on. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> You're right, though, and I think I think it's Sully who kind of talks up the legend of Babyface Stevens. Mm. And you're right. I mean, I think there definitely is deference to the boss we we sense, but I really do think it, it is this respect for Babyface that is able to keep them at bay. I mean, you know, we we have to have an episode here, so of course they have to wait. But uh, they're but, clearly but yeah. so excited that Babyface is coming. Yeah. Like, yeah. I really liked that. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of adorable in a way. It's, it was very funny the way that they, uh, yeah. And when Jimmy arrives, like they, and they approach him and like, they're talking to him. He's like, Hey baby face. Like, it's like, they're so happy he's here. And obviously it was just Jimmy, but <laughs> that is the Clark Miss Bacharach stuff is, is really up there for me. But I think I was genuinely laughing when they mistake Jimmy for Babyface when he shows up. Mm. I, I love, I love that kind of, that kind of humor. I, I feel like they could have done even more with that. Mm. But what I love about it is, and I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but that's fine while we're talking about Babyface. They go over to, to Jim and they're like, oh, hey, Babyface. And Jim doesn't bat an eye. Cause he's probably like, yeah, I'm a young, a young guy. Like they're just calling me baby. Mm. He's like, he doesn't even, and obviously yeah. he's trying to find Lois, but like, he doesn't even bat an eye. And then when they're like, are you packing a rod? And he's just like, just <laughs> look on his face. Oh my God. Yeah. It was terrific. I, I, oh man, it was so funny. I love yeah. It. I mean, Jack Larson in general was just absolutely fantastic in this episode as Jimmy. Like he's, he's funny because, um, Obviously, there's been a lot of different versions of Jimmy Olsen over the years, but the more I actually watch of Adventures of Superman, the more, like, the higher in the ranks I think Jack Larson is getting for me. Um, I think Michael Landis is still my favourite from the first season of Lois and Clark, but, you know, I, I really I really like Jack Larson in the role, I, and I think he did really well in this episode as well, and, I mean, just little things as well. I mean... It, I guess it is like a kind of art form as well in the world of acting, but he has so many phone call scenes that he has to do. And I'm assuming there was nobody on the other end of that phone. So he's having to act the whole thing, Like they're not cutting away. It's all in one take. And he's doing the whole conversation, like waiting for the responses. And I just thought now, yeah, that's, that's some really good acting. Like that's, that's a difficult thing to do because I've seen it done badly countless times. That scene definitely stood out as well. I mean, it is endless, that shot. It, it feels like an eternity where the There's cat a couple of them, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think there's two different phone call scenes. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose. But the, I mean, the one in particular is, you know, we'll get to, but after, uh, you know, he's on the phone with Lois and then she gets taken and then he's calling the police and, and it's just, you're right. I mean, you're just on him for that entire time. You're not, we're not hearing the other side of the conversation. He's just, you know, handling it all. And the, the camera doesn't cut away. Hmm. It's a, uh, it's a choice. I mean, but again, I think it does help. It, it does help build that tension and you feel like you're stuck. Like Lois is stuck in the motel room and it's like, you're stuck. On, uh, mm. on on Jim's face as he's making these calls, and yeah. and I'm with you in close up as well. Like, yeah. I mean, there's nowhere for him to hide as an actor at that point. It's not like he can sort of turn his head slightly if he's like starting to mess something up. Like he's in close up, and he just does a really good job. I, I agree with you, though. Uh, I I too love Michael Landis from Lois and Clark, especially having recently rewatched the first season. Uh, I like Justin Whalen in the subsequent ones, yeah, but I Michael Landis, I, I I agree. But no, as I'm making my way through this show again, especially the first season, I mean, I, Jim, in, out of all the characters in particular, as we get, especially into the color seasons, you know, he's he's really played for for comedic effect. And I think in the in this season in particular, you get a good balance, right? Where he's still this, you know, young kid and a source of some humor, but there's more, I feel more integrity to the character and... Uh, and I feel he's able to carry a little bit more of the story and, and things like that. Mm. So no, I... I feel like this I is think like in quintessential. season two he did as well. There was yeah. um, like the episode "Panic in the Sky." Like he's not in it much, but he carries quite a few of those scenes. Like it's, for people that don't know, obviously, it's the episode where Clark goes to stop a meteor and loses his memory, and Jimmy basically Jimmy and Lois are, you know, kind of having to take care of Clark in that episode, and Jimmy carries a lot of those scenes. He not only carries those scenes, but uh, between scenes, apparently carried Clark's unconscious body from the shower to the to the bed. Yeah, I, I don't know how we managed that, considering how heavy Clark must be. It's quite the feat. That's I, I, I think for most fans of the show. I mean, not not only do do we know that episode, but I think it's at the top of of pretty much everyone's list. I'm excited to get there. We're still season and change away from from that midway through season two, but yeah, I, I'm excited to revisit that one. That's definitely an all all time classic. A high point but for the show. It is actually that episode is why I went back and wanted to watch the show again, just purely because obviously they did the episode. He stops a meteor, loses his memory, has to get it back. And then Superboy did an episode where he stops a meteor, loses his memory and has to get it back. And then Lois and Clark did the exact same thing a third time. And I just think it's really interesting that they told the same story three times because that original George Reeves episode is such a classic and yeah so that that's why I watched it just because I think at some point we're going to be doing like a comparison thing where we discuss all three we're going to do that as a special podcast episode but uh yeah it's just a really interesting thing that I can't think of that happening any anywhere else it's really something and uh, don't worry, folks. We'll, go, we'll come back to Night, Night of Terror in a second. But <laughs> Sorry. The, no, no, it's, no, no it's, it's, it's really interesting. And uh, I'm actually, I know of that Superboy episode. Not, not surprisingly, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm very familiar with the Lois and Clark mm -hmm. one and all shook up. And what's cool, the one. what's cool about it and what I imagine I would find interesting watching the Superboy episode too is, you know, each of these shows that we're talking about, it's a different incarnation of the character and the mythology and different points mm -hmm in their journey. And so what was particularly fascinating about the Lois and Clark story was Mon Pa played a big role in that episode and helping yeah. to kind of get him back on his feet. And that's obviously a component you didn't have 
in the George Reeves show. So, you know, it's cool to see how it plays I mean, out. You, ha- I mean, they had the option to do that in the Superboy one as well. I mean, Mar and Pa were both in that. But basically, he crashes down to Earth in the middle of the jungle and finds... Basically, there's a woman who's uh, hiding from her ex-husband with her son in the jungle. They've built like a small cabin and all of that. And he loses his memory. And because he's in the middle of the jungle and they've been hiding for so long, they have no idea who he is. So the whole story is just around those people. But uh, yeah, it's just, as you say, they're different points in their lives. I mean, the closest, I suppose you could say, is the two George Reeves thing. But it's amazing how you if you boil it down to just the one sentence thing with the meteor and the memory loss, sounds like the same thing. But from the moment he loses his memory, like they go in very different directions, which is part of what I think is so fascinating about it. But three of the best episodes of each of their respective shows, I think. Yeah. No, I, I look forward to and checking out And it was adapted the for the comics as well, I found out. Yeah, which I did read. Uh, and it's it's okay. I, I think you definitely... My, my takeaway at the time was it just, it just highlighted for me, not to knock the comic, but it highlighted for me the power of the George Reeves performance. That scene where he's just like caught in between the two, the two costumes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's just, in, you know, in such a state of confusion, what he was able to convey, you just don't have that necessarily in the, in the comic and it worked fine, but something about watching that episode where it just, mm-hmm. you know, you're just there for it. So and it's it's the direction as well. Like just just like in this episode with the tension slowly building and stuff, there's that scene where Clark is dazed and Jimmy is behind him and he's back in his apartment and he starts unbuttoning his shirt and opening it and you see the costume underneath and it's like if he turns round, Jimmy is just gonna know from from now on. And it's just beautifully directed, just building tension, he's just like, please don't turn around. Even though, let's face it, George Reeves Superman loves to tease his secret identity all the time yep but like he did it in this episode like he answers the door says like come in jim he's like how do you know it was me he's like don't you know i have x-ray vision <laughs> it's like he's constantly teasing his secret which more and more i kind of love i love this yeah. version of it because you know we could you know we're not breaking any new ground here to say it requires a very healthy suspension of disbelief that yeah. especially the people he deals with most regularly wouldn't mm. put this together so the fact that he doesn't they never try to hide it. It's just like it makes it, you know, if you talk about it, right, you sort of take the power away from it. So it's like, yeah. it, it makes it easier for Jim to be like, oh, old Clark, like, you know, always joking around. It's like, well, not really. But I, I, I love that. No, I, I love wonder that if take. that was on purpose as well. Like maybe they thought the glasses aren't enough. Maybe if he's constantly teasing that he's got a secret, nobody will see it because it's almost like hiding in plain sight. So I wonder if it was actually a conscious decision on the show, on the, like the part of the writers to say like this, this could actually strengthen his secret identity rather than weaken it. That is a good but, question. I, I, I'd be curious I'll, in my ongoing research uh, in terms of the materials that are out there. I'd be curious to see if I come across anything. I, yeah, I, I wonder. I, it's not an angle that you really see explored elsewhere generally. And mm. and I think it there's something really, really clever about it and, and, and it works. So Back to the the Restwell uh, motel here. Now we're in the in the motel room where Lois and Mrs. King, the innkeeper's wife, have been locked up, and and Lois is nursing Mrs. King. And it's a there's a lot of tenderness between them. There's you know Lois is really mm. patting her, and they're holding each other. Like it's a it's a really conveying this. Uh, you know, I feel like the urgency of the situation, and and for the the innkeeper's wife, we we learn we get the backstory here that. 
uh, again, these guys, their, their organization, they've been using the motel to smuggle fugitives because they're very close to the Canadian border. And when she and her husband discovered this, the husband confronted them. They killed the husband. They threw him down in the gully uh, and obviously knocked her out. And so, uh, so we get this backstory and now we have a little bit more of the context for, uh, f- for what's going on. But yeah, you very much see Lois in that caretaker uh, role between them. Yeah. And it's interesting that for once the plot is to sneak criminals into Canada because typically they go to Mexico in, in any form of media. Like It's always... You're running from the cops like this escape to Mexico. I've never heard of escape to Canada before. I don't know. Maybe times were different back then. Maybe Canada was the place to be. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I know. There's a little bit of 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 a difference than, yeah, what you typically see. So it's at this point that Lois sneaks out and makes that phone call that we talked about. Uh, I did appreciate she at least tried to call the sheriff's department first, but they mm. weren't picking up. So I guess small town where she was, and uh, you know maybe they they had another call or they were doing something else. So she can't get through there. So she calls the Daily Planet, you know, looking for Clark. Uh, but she she gets Jim because prior to this we had uh, the scene you talked about where uh, I this was really interesting to me because other than Panic in the Sky, and I'm sure there are other examples, but I don't feel like there are a ton of instances on the show where you see. Clark sort of in various stages of changing between costumes, mm. you know, and in this one, we see him at the beginning of the scene, he's in his Superman garb in the office. And then we see him start to change. And then when Jim knocks on the door, you know, we see him sort of buttoning up. You can see the S underneath the shirt. And I don't mm. feel like we see that a lot. I, I feel like we see the reverse quite a lot. We see him turn from Clark to Superman a few times, I think, but yeah, I can't think of many occasions where you see him turn from Superman back to Clark Kent. Typically, you know, he would appear from like a broom closet or something. Suddenly it's like he's flying through the window and he just walks out in his Clark outfit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't really uh, even really occur to me. But I mean, you're right. I, I can't think of many occasions where we've seen that. Yeah, so it was, it was cool to sort of uh, see that. And, you know, Clark and Jim, they have these plans to to go see a baseball game. Uh, but then Clark gets called away by Inspector Henderson on, on the police mm-hmm. business. So he leaves, leaving Jim there to answer uh, when, when Lois calls. And she's able to get the name and, and general location of the motel before she's nabbed. And this is then when we get that uh, endlessly long shot of Jim calling over to Inspector Henderson to try to mm-hmm. talk to, I guess, either Henderson or Clark. What It turns out Henderson has gone out to meet with Clark. Yeah. So neither of them are there. And yeah, just part of the farcical sort of sequence as we talked about earlier and it's just yeah the tension is just building and building because the more time that like the more time is wasted you know and lois is in a very perilous situation at the moment exactly i think the only thing here not not to nitpick but you know why could jim not talk to another police officer or yeah you know, it's that, like it had to be Henderson, yeah. it had to be Clark, and absent either of them, he just went off on his own and left a note for Clark. And it's just like, we could still yeah. try to get a hold of the police generally. It's not like... <laughs> yeah, someone at the office, like he could have told them, even he could have just passed on the message to someone else at the police station. So when that note disappeared from Clark's office, they had a backup ready at the police station. Like, you know, but yeah, it's like you said earlier, I think if things happens the way they should logically the episode would be a lot shorter 
Anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know why he couldn't speak to someone else at the police department. I know Henderson typically is someone Clark and Superman trust, but yeah, it, it's a bit of a strange thing. I mean, why he couldn't just leave a message with someone else. I mean, that's just what I kept coming back to. Now, you know, maybe this is asking for too much, but I don't know if Lois, if when Lois was talking to Jim, if, if he had said like, oh, I'll get the police, Lois. And she was like, no, like if they see sirens, they'll kill us. You know, something like that. And maybe that's what was going yeah. through Jim's mind. I don't, maybe in his head, he's like, I got to get to Clark who can get a hold of Superman. He's the only one who could. I mean, I, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I kept thinking about that. But then from there, <laughs> we have the the first scene with Miss Bacharach, the yeah, we don't typically say secretary yeah. anymore, but w- would have been called uh, the, the secretary at the Daily Planet at the time. A different Miss Bacharach than the one we saw in Superman on Earth, uh, the first episode of season one. Again, I know these were shot in a different order than, than they aired, but in Superman on Earth, she's far younger. And there's this little moment in that episode where this is when Clark shows up at the Daily Planet to ask for a job where, you know, there's kind of like a longing look between her and Clark. You know, it seems like she's... You know, somewhat interested in him. This yeah. Miss Bacharach is is definitely uh, you know a more senior and more matronly uh, incarnation of the character. Mm. And really, I'm not sure I like her particularly no. as a character. I I just found her really irritating. It was like, um, yeah, to to compare it to another DC show, like it reminded me of Aunt Harriet from the '66 Batman series. It's just sort of a bit of a nuisance, just, yeah. I just found her irritating. I mean, I know it's a different time. Maybe those sort of characters were more popular back then, but yeah, I just thought she was irritating. <laughs> well, what, like, what did you think of her dismissiveness towards Jimmy? I didn't like it, especially when she called him a stupid boy at one point, despite the fact that it was her mistake that put them in this mess. Like, it wasn't Jimmy. Jimmy did everything right. It was her mistake. I, I didn't like that she immediately blamed me for that. But uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, like she, I, I did find her, there were instances where I did find it humor. When, when we get to the scene where Clark really shouts at her, I thought that was kind of funny. But. Yeah, <laughs> he pushes, he literally pushes her out of the office. And when, like when he does it, like she actually says like almost to camera, just like, he practically threw me out of his office. And I thought, no, he literally threw you out of his office. Like he grabbed you by the shoulders and forced you out of his office. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing practically about it. Like he literally <laughs> did it. I just thought that was very funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the sh- only thing that I did think fun- was funny with her, to be honest. I hear you. It's just that, you know, Jim comes out and he's like, Lois is in trouble. He asks uh, if, because uh, the chief is out of town. Yeah. So we don't have Perry White in this episode. He's up in mm-hmm. Boston, but uh, Jim makes this plan to take Perry's car, right, to drive out to Lois, but he uh, grabs the pencil out of uh, Miss Bacharach's ear and, and writes a note for her to give to Clark. And I think one of the first things she says, says to him is, calm down. And it's like, even if you look no. at him as like, what? It's just like, no, don't calm down. Like, you need to, you know, you need to maybe try and match his energy a little bit more. Like, Lois is in trouble. Like, well, and, and no, the, no, not like calm down. That's silly. I thought, and that's yeah. I think the the fundamental problem that I had with Miss Bacharach in this is why is she not like why would she not be taking this seriously? Even if even if she looks as at Jim as this you know kid cub reporter, 
it's, I mean, you know, unless there's this backstory where he's prone to pranks or something, you know, it's like if he's coming in and he's clearly agitated and he's telling her Lois is in trouble. And even the thing that really drove me nuts was when he, we see her going to lunch. Oh, well that too. She's like, well, I have to take my supper now. It's like, I'll put this on his desk, but she looks at the note and we get, you know, we see what she's seeing. And it says like like I forget exactly, but like like Lois in danger at this location, and she's just like oh that like I think you said like that stupid boy. It's like wh- why why is that your yeah. reaction to this? <laughs> yeah, especially since like theoretically she works with Lois every day. She knows that Lois gets into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I, I wouldn't be the one not believing Jimmy in that situation. I immediately take him at his word. It's like well. Yeah, it's Lois. She's bound to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a little, again, I, I think maybe it's just one of these contrivances. It's like we need to have some delay in this information getting conveyed. But I, I guess it just would have been, it just didn't really track for me. It's just like, why Why wouldn't you take this seriously, lady? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so she goes to yeah. put it on Clark's desk. And then we talked about this before. She clo- leaves and closes the door. The note falls to the floor. And as we'll see in subsequent scenes, as we, you know, again, the pace starts to pick up here, moving back and forth. But Oscar, the janitor, mm-hmm. uh, comes in and uh, empties the trash and picks up the piece of paper. It later gets incinerated, uh, you know, d- destroying that uh, that uh, opportunity to discover the information. But mm. uh, so, again, at this point, like I said, we start to cut back and forth uh, a little bit faster now uh, where, again, Sully and Mitch, they're. They remain antsy. They've been antsy and they remain uh, even more so as we make our way through the rest of this episode where they really want to take out uh, Lois and uh, and Mrs. King. Uh, we, we then quickly encounter the scene that we've been talking about with Clark and uh, Miss Bacharach where, you know, Clark comes in looking for the note. The note's nowhere to be found. And and Miss Bacharach in, in, in these scenes is like a chicken with her head cut off. I mean, she's so yeah like, animated. I mean, where was this urgency when she was told Lois was in danger? <laughs> like, it's almost like because she she clearly has no respect for Jimmy. Like, she she pays no mind to anything that Jimmy says. But maybe Clark Kent she has some respect for. So now she's reacting the way she should have done in the first place. But and again, the only reason it's a problem that the note is gone is because she decided that going out to eat or whatever was more important than making sure Lois Lane was safe. Yeah. I, I don't like Miss Bacharach at all. I, I'm not a fan of this character. I, I'm glad basically forgotten from Superman history at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's not really made a, you know, some, as you know, obviously so many of these characters that, you know, re, you know, recycled, reinterpreted, reintroduced in different forms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know that we've ever gotten any other incarnations of Miss Bacharach. Probably rightfully so. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. I think it is, yeah, either she was just really hungry and wanted to go get her food or, yeah, I think that is it. Like, she's just so dismissive of Jimmy. And then when Clark comes in and he's like, hey, like, what's going on? I think that really gets her attention. But mm-hmm. in that scene, and again, this drove me nuts, too, where she's like, oh, that silly Olsen boy. It's like, again, lady... <laughs> He gave you yeah. this information. You you dropped the ball in getting it to Clark. Clearly, this is an mm. urgent situation. And that's why I love when Clark is like, never mind about Jim. <laughs> like he really does mm. shout at her. But, you know, but that's I mean, yeah. the thing that really made me laugh about it as well. When she leaves the note on his desk, I'm just like, paperweights were pretty common at that point in history. Like paperweights have kind of disappeared a little bit in recent years now. But back then, like 
every old movie I've seen, there's always like paperweights or a thing. Usually it's like, you know, it's the murder weapon in some film or something. It's like someone gets knocked over the head with a paperweight. But it's like, when you put the note on the desk, maybe just put something on top of it, you know, just to hold it down, stop it blowing away. Because I tell you what, it's very lucky that after, you know, I, I forget the name of the janitor. You said his name. Oh, Oscar. Oscar. Yeah. Like, it's very lucky that one, he just burnt that bag. But two, also Clark puts his hand into the fire and pulls out a tiny little bit of paper that just says, what is it? View or sleep. Or, yeah. And it's so lucky that that is exactly from the piece of paper that he needed because <laughs> that was a full bag of trash. What if he like pulled it out? And it's just like someone's shopping list. Like <laughs> he's, he calls up like information. He's just trying to find out the name of a motel that's got the name like Sweet Corn in the name or something. And it's just you know it, that very easily could have been completely useless to him. I just thought it was funny, but you know that that's pretty par for the course with shows of this era. There's a lot of convenient things like Lois showing up in the first place is very convenient as well. Sure, yeah, as you said. Got to suspend your disbelief a little bit. Indeed, indeed. And, you know, as far as, again, Clark's behavior towards Ms. Bacharach, I I love the impatience with which Reeves portrays Clark. And a lot of these, especially these, these season one episodes, he's not, mm. and really throughout the series, he's not the timid, bumbling Clark. I mean, his Clark is pretty confident and authoritative. And, yeah. and I, I love it. it. It's, it's surprisingly modern as a version of Clark Kent. Like, after, I mean, let's face it, after George Reeves, like Christopher Reeve came along and for a while, that was kind of how Clark Kent was seen. And, I mean, Gerard Christopher in season two of Superboy was very much just copying Christopher Reeve's portrayal of the character. But then Dean Kane comes along and Clark Kent is the real person and people are saying, oh, like, it's, it's kind of revolutionary that Clark isn't the mask anymore. Clark is the real person. It's like, well, George Reeves did it too. And I, I would argue George Reeves, you know, I think it's he's got the stronger version of Clark. I think mostly just because I'm a fan of cheese and I like the fact that he's constantly teasing his secret. And I just think George Reeves was excellent as Clark Kent. But uh, uh, No, yeah. I, I agree. Look, as, as iconic as the Christopher Reeve performance is, I think especially in the context of an episodic series, and you know, this show ran 104 episodes. I think... Mm. I don't it know. Would have, it would have gotten old very quickly. Yeah. Like, yeah. One season of Superboy with Clark Kent acting that way was enough. Like, thank, thankfully, he changed his approach in season three and it's much more like George Reeves. But uh, yeah, Jack Larson was in an episode of that as well, which is pretty cool with uh, Noel Neal. Very nice. Yeah. Pretty good episode. Maybe we'll have to uh, get you on to do a commentary on that at some point. Oh, man, I would love to. That'd be a fun one. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, we have this scene between Clark and, and Miss Bacharach. Uh, again, terrific. Uh, then again, cutting back and forth, we're back at the motel. Uh, they tie up Lois and the innkeeper's wife. This is where Lois gets smacked in the head. Again, it was just, you know, it, it just, it, again, I, I don't I don't criticize the show for doing it because I think it really adds to the effect. But in terms of just oh, definitely. these guys, it's like, man, like they're really, uh, it's they're rough. You know, they're really rough. Uh, so then we're back in the office and this is where, again, Clark calls the, uh, the, the travel agent who... Uh, it was director, so Tommy Carr didn't direct this episode, but he directed many of the others in season one. And apparently this actor who played the travel agent was his brother. Uh, so just a little, a little tidbit there. 
Uh, and then we get that hilarious scene that we already talked about where uh, up at the motel, Jim shows up and is mistaken for Babyface. Hey, Babyface. Mm-hmm. Again, doesn't bat an eye. Uh, <laughs> and they give him the gun and they take out all the bullets mm-hmm. except the two that he would <laughs> he would allegedly need. I, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's just so terrific. Um, mm-hmm. Then back at the Daily Planet, Clark gets the return call from the travel agent with uh, – names of three locations, three possible locations with uh, the rest or well, I guess, because it's called rest well. So it was three ones that had well in it, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Like summer well or summer, I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) three variations. And of course, the one that she's at is the third on the list. Oh, I want to get back to that in a second. I got thoughts on that. But uh, as he's, you know, he's taking down this information. He like he literally snaps his fingers at Miss Bacharach for her to <laughs> for her to write everything. Yeah, down. he he's he's taking note himself. But then suddenly, for the third one, he loses his patience and snaps his fingers. He's like, "You write this one," I, you know. Like he's getting annoyed. And yeah, I like I like that he's not always the the mild mannered reporter, as you you know, as you pointed out a minute ago. Yeah, absolutely. And then, but great. now again, I know at this point. He knows and we know he's going to launch into Superman mode. But when Miss Bacharach says, as he's shoving her out of the room, like, do you want me to call the police? And he's like, no. Again, it's like, w- would we not call the police here? <laughs> call them anyway. Yeah. You know, he'll, he'll get there first anyway. But it's, you know, you could probably use them to take the criminals away. Like, you know, <laughs> Lois is in trouble. Like, you assume there's going to be someone there to be arrested at the end. So call the police anyway. You might as well just have them waiting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite funny, to be honest. Yeah, I thought the same here. And then, yeah, so, you know, Clark changes into Superman and flies off. And yes, of course, Lois's motel is the third one. So we <laughs> follow him to two other motels where he's looking. This reminded me, this is going to sound like sacrilege to ask someone in the UK this question, but are you, have you watched or a fan of the US office by any chance? I love it. All yeah. right, right on. I, yeah, I, I watched the British one. I didn't watch the US one for a long time, but as soon as I actually got past the first season, I actually prefer the US one. Like that, that is sacrilege as a British person to say that I prefer the American version. But uh, no, I, I love the American Office. All oh, right, on, right on. Because that I don't know. This might I don't know if this will make sense to, to the audience generally, but the. Uh, Superman having to go to all these motels and we know he's not going to the right one. So it's like, we're, you know, kind of just going through the process here. It Mm. reminds me of the threat level midnight episode of the office in season seven, when uh, we see this movie that, that Michael Scott has been making all of these years. And there's one point where he, his character, Michael Scarn in this movie uh, does a coin toss. Right. And he has the other character call heads or tails and it lands. And it's like, you think you're done. And then he's like, best of seven. And we just <laughs> just keep seeing more and more. Yeah, I, I love that. That's what this reminded me of. As he's just, and again, we're only talking three here, but it was just filling, like, just you know, filling time. And uh, like, I wonder as well, like with the um, the fact as well that the brother of one of the directors on the show played that travel agent character. I wonder if the fact that he's showing absolutely no haste whatsoever in looking up the records. I wonder if this episode was running a little bit short. And so they brought him in and maybe they were like, we're running short. Like, just take your time. But it happens. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. I love when, when Superman then is going to each of these motels. Uh, not Did to... you notice the first one is really clearly and badly dubbed? Oh, like no. George, 
yeah, George Reeves is like talking to the first motel owner and like he's barely moving his lips. Like it almost looks like they're not saying anything at all, but you can clearly hear voiceover. He's speaking loudly and clearly. And I was just, yeah, the next motel owner he sees very clearly, he is actually talking to him on set, but yeah, it looks like something went wrong. With that oh, shot. gotcha. I'll have to go back and check that. What, what <laughs> caught my attention in that first one is that the other people, like it looks like a couple, like they're not saying anything. They just like shaking their head that Lois isn't there. And it's just, the silence goes on for like a little, I like think that is the one. Yeah. The first George yeah. Reeves, like his voiceover is very quiet. Like it's it is it's quite like you can hear that he's speaking loud, but clearly when they've dubbed it over, they've just not upped the volume quite enough. But yeah, I wonder if they had lines as well and they were just even quieter. <laughs> I, I know, maybe. I know it was a little funny. And then in the second instance he has the brief exchange uh with, with a guy. It's just I loved that one. Yeah. I, I really liked that interaction because the guy is so shocked that superman is talking to him like he's 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 almost like huh yeah yeah no he's just like very very quiet he he almost like can't find his voice like he's nervous talking to superman and i i just i don't know i just thought that was really funny and it's something that not enough superman media does like it's always funny when superman like lands in a tv show or something and like no one in the background none of the extras are paying any attention but if superman flew down from the sky you'd be watching wouldn't you like i wouldn't be able to look at anything else it's like superman's here like (laughs) that is actually a really good you're you know what you're right i don't think that that's really not addressed sufficiently in in these other incarnations because Mm. even i mean you just think about in the real world when someone sees a celebrity Right. Mm. And that we're, that we're taking powers out of the equation, but just someone famous. And it's like, oh, like, yeah. you know, everybody looks. So, yeah. I mean, so imagine that. Even if you live in Metropolis, even if you're used to seeing him fly overhead, it's still, uh, yeah, I agree. And and in this instance, where Again, he's, to tie into Superboy very briefly, I'm sorry for keeping you. No, listen, Superboy. it's all good. It was something that was brought up on the first season because literally the actor that played Superboy in the first season, like he was fired like for season two, but he was good in the role. Like it's a shame that he left, but... At the same time, it's like he noticed that whenever he would like have a landing scene, all the direct, all the extras were basically instructed to ignore him, like don't don't look and all of that, and just keep moving about your business, keep walking by in the background. And he kept saying, "This isn't what would be happening if Superboy landed in front of you." And literally, even though he's not there for season two, in season two you can tell that every time Superboy lands and there's a crowd of people, everyone like pointing and smiling, like, "Hey, it's Superboy!" Like really paying a lot of attention and it does make a lot of difference it's it's this very small detail but it does make a great deal of difference i like that no i'm i appreciate you sharing uh again especially because the superboy show really remains i don't have i've closed a lot of gaps within my superman fandom through primarily my digging for mm-hmm. kryptonite show but you know i still have some and that's a big one so it, it's interesting to hear that uh for for sure it's, it's the same with that show as it is with this one it's you know as a superman fan give it a watch see if you like it i mean you may not <laughs> it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter with george reeves or with superboy if you don't like it you don't like it but at least you gave it a go you know I've, i can't fault anyone that's at least given it a try no i hear you i mean i've watched enough at this point where i like i know what it is and i think i would know what mm. i'd be getting myself into and it's it's certainly watchable and it's it, yeah. the other thing too and and especially maybe again, I know you have a lot of love for the show, but 
I'm sure you can identify just on, on the podcasting front. It's like, even if you're not so in love with something, it's still interesting. And you know that you'll oh, be, yeah. have something to talk about with it. So it's, you know, it's still worthwhile. It's not like, well, what, what's the point of this? It's like, well, even if I don't love it, you know, I'll still be able to talk about it and get something it's out of it. It's still worth way. talking about, especially since so many comic book writers wrote for the show. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And it's like Kevin Kiner, who did all the music for it, is now doing the music for uh, like Doom Patrol and Titans and the Star Wars animated shows and stuff. And for Titans, he's reused his theme tune for Superboy from yeah. the 80s, which I just think is awesome that he's sort of paying tribute to where he started out. So it's, you know, Warner Brothers doesn't want to remember, but clearly the people that worked on it do. They're still paying tribute to it all, this, all these years later. I know, I did see that. I thought that was such a great touch. Yeah. So see- uh, I, I had the biggest smile on my face when I heard that for the first time. Like I, I, I'm not even a particularly big fan of Titans, to be honest, but I'm, I'm watching it now just purely because, well, season four, they go to Metropolis. So <laughs> basically I've got to watch this season. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, while I did see that, that clip with the Superboy theme music, I have not watched the show regularly, but it, it's on my list in large part because, you know, with Superboy on it. And like you said, this season with Lex and Metropolis, it's like, well, all right. Uh, anyway, back to the, <laughs> this, uh, this motel business. So yeah, we see Superman going, uh, through each of them. Of course, the third one will be the charm. It just, <laughs> again, not to nitpick, but it was just funny how he, he's not particularly thorough in his searches of the other places. Yeah, it's just like it's a like, real quick, like, Hey, is Lois here? They're like, no, he's like, okay, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> also, he's got x-ray vision as he pointed out to Jimmy earlier in the episode. So I would have had him like, you don't even need the other actors there for him to talk to. You just need a shot of him arriving there. Have him like looking like this player sound effects, like to, to you know, clue the audience in that he's using his x-ray vision. And then fly off, and it's just that's all you really need. But uh, again, I'm wondering if this episode was just running a little bit short, so they had to add some extra scenes in. But maybe I'm glad they did because, as you said earlier, like the cutting back and forth between different locations in the final act of this episode is really quick, and it really does add to all the tension. Like you're, yeah, it, it really brings you into it. So I'm glad they did, whatever the reason was. Yeah, same here. And you know, the other thing that I was thinking of, I love like one of the one of the reasons I think well, it's funny with this episode because you think about uh and you could say this about a lot of episodes that they wouldn't play out the same nowadays. I think this one in particular, because you know, we have so much technology at our disposal, yeah. you could still The invention of the cell phone completely destroys this plot. No. Although, <laughs> I mean you could still Maybe this motel is pretty remote and maybe it's kind of a dead zone. I mean, he could finagle She's something. She's still got the payphone. Like, she could call Clark directly on his mobile. Yeah, true. <laughs> Hell, she'd, she'd probably have Henderson's, like, direct line. She'd probably have his cell phone. I know. That is very true. But uh, mm. kind of along the... Like, where, where's Lois? Oh, she's got her GPS active. Like, I've, there we are. There we are. I'll be there in a moment. Like, <laughs> literally sorted in a second because her GPS was on. I know. It it's is all right. true. I'm using find my phone. <laughs> uh, but then the other thing I think too is what, but, and, and this I think works is, you know, dealing with a more modestly powered Superman, right? Cause you mm-hmm. think about Superman at the height of his powers, regardless of what medium we're talking about. It's like, he wouldn't even need to leave the daily planet. He could just use his telescopic and x-ray vision, and just look or, yeah. or get there in the second. But you know, this is a Superman. It takes him a little bit of time, right? He's flying and he's getting there quickly, but it's still a little bit of time to get to each place. And 
Mm. Like he has to work a little bit more to make this search, uh, which I liked. I, I, again, I, I tend to favor just like Superman, the animated series, like you saw him sweat a little bit more, you know, it was hard yeah. for him to catch that plane in the, you know, in the pilot. So yeah. Uh, back at the motel, of course, Jim has come in and explains to Lois and, and the innkeeper's wife, whom he unties, that he's been mistaken for Babyface. And of course, the real Babyface shows up. I love how he proves to the other guys, to Mitch and Sully, how he's the real yeah, Babyface. beating them up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they're so, but they're like, oh, does that's- Does that prove anything, really? To them, it does. They're like, oh, you are Babyface. Babyface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really funny scene. Like, you know, how do we know you're really Babyface? It's just- beats the crap out of them. It's like, is that enough proof for you? It's like, yep, your baby face. Well, I think this, just, <laughs> I think this supports your theory about the hero worship that they have for him, where it's yeah. like, he's like, he beat the crap out of us. Like we got beat up by baby face. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they thought, well, nobody could have beaten us up like that unless they were baby face. It's like, you know, he's a legend. Yeah. It's, I, I like baby face in this as well. Like, I, I, I don't know if you, mind skipping ahead to when Babyface is actually in the room about to shoot Lois and Jimmy when they finally break in. Yeah, no, go for it. But it's like, he's literally, he loads the gun, he's got the thing, and he just gives like this really eerie smile. Like Babyface clearly loves his work. And he's just has this great big grin on his face. And it was the thing that really struck me about it is it's almost like quite a warm smile. Like he, yeah, he was... Quite unsettling, I thought. Uh, he's barely in this episode. Obviously, his presence is felt throughout. But yeah, he, he certainly made an impression. I, th- I thought it was uh, very effective. I did too. I, you know, that's the thing. It's especially with, I mean, this show in particular and this season. You know, we're not dealing. We're not dealing with the comic book villains here. We are dealing with these gangsters mm. uh, in most of these episodes. And so, I think when you I have, they basically had to, didn't they? I mean, they didn't have the budget to do anything else really. I mean, they, yeah, you know, I've always said though, it's curious to me that they didn't use Lex because they did use Lex in the movie serial. And that's a villain who I always thought that was strange could be used on screen. And you know, all these episodes were so standalone and it's like, if you kind of had Lex pop up a couple of times a season or something like that, I feel like it would just give a little bit more weight. Like there's a little bit, you know, a larger thread or something connecting these things, you know, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it's, I don't know. It is just kind of, it is surprising to me like that he was, the character was in existence. He had been used on screen in the serial. So it's not like this mm. would have been the first time or anything like that. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's an odd one. Um, I mean, Lex Luthor, I mean, you, you would think, as you say, he's been in the serials. It'd be quite an easy one for him to, for them to adapt. Um, and yet we're mostly stuck to mobsters and stuff. Like it's, it's fair enough that he's not going up against like Metallo and stuff like that. I just the only thing I can think of, like maybe it was some kind of rights issue. Maybe they didn't have the rights to use Lex Luthor on, for TV, but I can't see why it would matter because I mean, surely if they bought the rights to Superman, they bought the rights to the whole library. Basically, it's not like they had to, you know, swap out Perry White for someone else. So it's just an odd one. It's a shame that the show's so old because then, because otherwise, I would be like looking for the writers on Twitter and stuff and say like, "Why did you never do this?" Yeah. As I tend to do with the more modern shows, <laughs> I'm always pestering the Superman writers. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, listen, it's great to to have that to take advantage of that opportunity when you can. But 
Uh, yeah, no, it was great when Babyface came in. And even prior to that, what one thing that struck me was when, you know, Jimmy unties the, the ladies and mm-hmm. he's holding the gun. He's like, I, I've never fired one of these in my life. Like, what am I going to do? And of course, neither of the women even even goes near the gun. And I'm thinking to myself, man, a modern Lois story. Like Lois would grab that yeah. gun in two seconds. <laughs> but I, yeah. know, it was, I again, it was a different time. As tough and fierce as the Phyllis Coates Lois was and very capable mm-hmm. and very ahead of the time, yeah, you still weren't going to see her grab the gun. But it's like, yeah, Lois today for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jimmy wouldn't even have had to ask. Like, Lois oh, would have yeah. just been like, give give that here. Like, you know, especially if it's the version of Lois where her father's like, you know, a military general. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> she's more than proficient with firearms, I'm sure. I know. I know. Like, I think about Erica Durant or, or the Bitsy Tullock versions of, of Lois. Mm. And it's like, yeah, no, they would, you know, they would have. Even uh, Terry Hatcher's. Yeah. Like, her father in that wasn't even from the military. He was a doctor or something, if I remember right. And you could totally believe that Lois Lane would know how to handle a gun. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's just the times, I suppose, as you say. And so, you know, Babyface has has them in his sights. And that's when Superman finally arrives. We have this this battle that we talked about before where one of the actors really seemingly gets clocked. And, uh, you know, he's he makes short work of these guys uh, thanks to his stuntman. <laughs> And, uh, and that's it. And we just have our, our quick wrap up there where he gives a very reassuring smile to everyone and, uh, and mm. we're off into the credits and that's night of terror. Mm. And, and I'll tell you the ending is the only thing that makes me think my theory about the episode running a little bit short. Isn't like, can't possibly be the case because if you're going to add an extra scene anywhere, I would have added an extra scene at that ending because it ends very abruptly. Like, he literally comes in, bad guy stops. It's like, thanks for saving me. And it's like, credits it's very very quick and uh yeah that's literally the only thing other than obviously the uh the assistant character <laughs> you mentioned earlier miss Bacharach. that's probably the only negative i've got on this episode i, I thoroughly enjoyed it i just i kind of wish there was an extra like minute yeah no, no. i i hear you i I mean, I, you know, I had such a great time talking about this with you. And I really, like I said, my, my opinion really changed in a very positive direction uh, upon rewatch. And uh, I, again, I just think this was a very, I love the way they used the, the, the pacing of this to really build the tension in it. I think it works really well. And it's just a cool kind of Superman story to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the benefits of, especially doing Superman on television and you can, and especially like we said, even when you sort of are confined, you don't have all of the other toys that the movies have at their disposal, but forces mm. you to do other things. And yeah, you wouldn't see this kind of story in a movie, but for a, a week of, of a Superman show, it works great. So, yeah. the, what and we, let's face it, stories like this, like using the mob and stuff, I mean, it's still done to this day. I mean, that Superman and Lois is teasing for season three, they're going to have Bruno Mannheim. It's basically, it looks like it's going to be sort of a mob story for season three, and it's still being done. Lois and Clark had a ton of episodes with the mob. Like my favorite episode of Lois and Clark is very mob related. It's the one where they bring back Al Capone and Bonnie and Clyde, and <laughs> I, I love that episode. It's not the best episode of the show, but it's my it's my favorite. But uh, yeah, they keep bringing the mob back into it. I think even obviously the animated series, as you mentioned earlier. I'm pretty sure that must have had a couple of mob stories, at least. Like, I'm not as familiar with the animated series, I must admit. But yeah, yeah, no, and they they did use intergang uh, and everything. 
So the way we typically end these episodes, we, we rate the episodes. I have my Fedora rating system here. So uh, on a scale of one to five, Fedora is five being the best. Uh, how many would you give Night of Terror? I'd give it a solid four. Right on. I, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to. Yeah. yeah. I You know what? I was going to say three and a half. I'm going to go four. I've been a little stingy uh, in <laughs> in my ratings, I will admit, because I have... You know, in my head, I have like what I know my fives will be. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go I mean, four. I'm giving it a four purely for the direction, the way they built the tension, the way it's shot. Like, I mean, even just as we've mentioned a couple of times, that opening shot, just the fact that I, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for like a slow panning shot as you just move around a room and reveal more and more about the scene. Just little touches like that. I just thought it was a really well directed episode, especially for the time that it was in and that's the only reason I'm bumping it from a 3.5 to a four is because I appreciate the extra effort that they went to for it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I like, I, I appreciate the craft uh, of this episode in particular. So I'm, mm. I'm going to go with that too. Uh, Tom, man, really, thank you so much. Uh, I know obviously we talked about Superboy, the legacy I know available on, on YouTube, where else would you want to direct people if they want to explore more? Um, got a Facebook page and a Facebook group. We've got, uh, the website, superboylegacy.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, uh, Twitter, yeah, but mostly YouTube. YouTube's typically where I focus my efforts. It's, that's where all the podcasts go up. That's where our commentaries go up. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And I always direct people to YouTube specifically because like there's a segment we do where we're um, writing and pitching our version of a fifth season that was never made. And I, you know, I do a lot of Photoshop stuff, so. Of course, I make fake screenshots from the episode that show on screen alongside the pitch. And uh, so, yeah, YouTube's the only place you can do that. If you if you listen to it on iTunes, you're only getting half the show. So, yeah, All check right. us out on YouTube. There you go, folks. You know what to do. Uh, well, Tom, thank you very much. I'm glad. It was great meeting thank you. you this was the me. first time you and I spoke. We've only uh, exchanged messages uh, on, on Instagram. So it was great to actually uh, see you virtually uh, and have this conversation. So thank you. Mm. Thank you for having me. It's appreciated. I'm, I'm glad you uh, thought of me for this one because, as I said, thoroughly enjoyed this episode a lot more than I was expecting to because I had no memory of it at all apart from as soon as Babyface was mentioned, I had memory of this episode. But until that point, yeah. Right on. All right. So thank you, Tom. Thank you, audience. I always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back in two weeks. I will be joined by Superman, the animated podcast host, Nathan McKenzie. We'll be talking about season one, episode seven, The Birthday Letter. So make sure you come back for that. Adventures await. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.